I thank you, Lord, for the people that have come. I pray, Lord, for those that are on the road that are traveling right now, Lord, that are our church family. I pray that you would bless them and keep them safe. Help them to feel refreshed and revived, but more importantly, Lord, help them to have a, a hunger to come back to the church and to worship with us once again. I thank you for those that are here this morning. I thank you for the church member. Father, I pray that if there's something that they're struggling with or something that somebody here is struggling with, maybe they are in the valley right now. I pray, Lord, that you would be with them, that you would guide them out of there, Lord, and that you would protect them. Bring them out of whatever trial they're in and let them know, Lord, that you are the good shepherd that protects and that brings us through the darkness. I pray, Lord, for the sinner that's here that's never accepted you as their personal Savior. I pray that you would press upon their heart this morning, Lord, that you would take away all distractions and that they would hear the gospel preached this morning, Lord, and most of all, that they would come to the knowledge of Christ and they would give their heart and their life to you. I pray, Lord, that you be with those that are sick, Lord. Be with Lisa, Lord. I pray that you heal her body. Bring her back to us, Lord. I pray that you be with those that are struggling with cancer and with diseases right now, Lord, and with sicknesses, that you would just heal their bodies, Lord, and give them peace that passes all understanding. Father, most of all, I pray for your Holy Spirit to come this morning, to fill this place, to fill your people, Lord, to change our lives, and to help us to focus our eyes back on Jesus. I pray for our nation this morning, Lord. We need you more than ever. And Lord, as I read in Kings, all it takes, Lord, is one man to pray, to repent, and to lead the people back to you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for just using us this morning. I thank you for the music. I pray that you'd anoint Brother Marvin as he speaks. Use him as a vessel, Lord. And we just pray that, that we would be receptive to it. And that, Lord, when we leave here, we wouldn't just leave here and forget what we heard, Lord, but that we would take what we learned and go out and reach the lost and the dying. We love you and we ask for your will to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, folks. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark to the fifth chapter. We're going to look at a guy who you may not identify with, but I want to tell you as a pastor, and someone who talks to other pastors, he's not uncommon in the days in which we live. Many people today are experiencing some of these same things we're going to look at in this poor man's life. And I want to talk to us this morning about the reality of spiritual warfare. I don't think most of the church really takes serious the fact that the Bible shows to us that we are in a war, if you are a child of God this morning, that you are in a place where you are a target to the enemy of God. And he is real. And he is active. And he is very good at what he does. And I want us to look here this morning as we read a couple of verses out of this. We're going to primarily preach from this passage here using this man. And I see exactly the pattern that Satan is attacking and accomplishing in the lives of so many people in this man. And we're going to pull from that. But we're going to also look in, uh, over in Revelation chapter 12 right quick as an introduction to where I want us to look at and be when we all get here together. So if you're with me this morning, we're going to read a couple of verses starting in verse 1 of chapter 5. Many of you have heard this preached in many ways, and it's not an unfamiliar text. But I want you to understand something. This is a reality that is happening as I speak in many lives that we attribute to other things. Not all addictions are just physical. Not all... Addictive behavior 
Some of it, there's not a demon around every corner. But if you believe this Bible, demonic activity that influences people's lives for bad is real. But we don't want to call it that anymore. We want to look at it. We don't want to believe in the supernatural. And I'm afraid today that many of us take way too lightly the issue of spiritual warfare. And that's why we see so many families struggling today. Because I don't know about you, when I read, it's not going to get less. It's going to intensify and be more prevalent as we get closer to the second coming of Christ. And I want you to look right here as we see in this story of this man. We know him as the Gadarean demoniac. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadareans. And when Jesus had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He's talking about a demon who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him. And the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him, and he cried out with a loud voice, And he said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by my God, by God, that you do not torment me. For Jesus said to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Father in heaven today, as we look at this, help us to not take this as isolated, very uncommon. That's not something that happens often in the life around us here on earth, but to see it as Everywhere Jesus went when he was here, he ran into people with this same spiritual condition. So Lord, open our eyes today and help us see the severity and the seriousness of taking account that there is an enemy out there who's fighting against us and give us the ability to realize that it's in Jesus that we have our victory for it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. You know, we look at this and it's easy for us to think that Man, that's them real crazy Christians, them carried away. That's what they make movies about. But guys, if you look, the first thing you see in chapter 1, the first time Jesus began to teach and preach, he went to a synagogue, and in the synagogue, in the church, he encountered a demon-possessed man. Guys, if you want to read it with me, you can flip back. It's easy to get to. I want you to think about this. He was in the church. And from what you see, it alludes to the fact he'd been there a long time and nobody knew he was there. No one even suspected he had a demon. He was one of them. What makes the demon act out, my friend, is not demon activity, not evilness. He hides well in that. It's when Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, demons scream out. Demons reveal themselves. If you look at this story right here, this man, I'll look at it, and y'all may not believe this, but I'm telling y'all, demonic activity is real. Jesus came, and it says, then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath day, they entered the synagogue, and Jesus taught. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as scribes. And guys, listen. Church wasn't usual when Jesus shows up. See, you can have just regular old teaching, regular old preaching. People can preach without Jesus, but when Jesus anoints it, when Jesus shows up, things stir up, amen? And this day, Jesus shows up. 
And look at what happens. This man was there, apparently. He'd probably been going there. Now, there was a man in their synagogue. That means he was one of them with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. Friends, I want to tell you something. When Jesus shows up, those who are under spiritual attack, under the influence and possibly the possession of a demonic spirit, is going to say, Let us alone. They don't want Jesus to show up. But that's not uncommon. If you look, when you get to chapters 5, you're going to see in the story we're looking at, when you go to chapter 7, there was a lady who had a little girl who was demon-possessed, and she wasn't even a Jew, and she goes to Jesus and says, would you please help my daughter? You go to the ninth chapter, there's a man who has a son who's possessed. Friends, everywhere Jesus went in the Bible, Jesus encountered demonic activity. As a matter of fact, the story in the, in the um, first chapter that I just looked at, when the man in the, in the synagogue, well, that evening he left, and that evening when the sun had set, they brought to Jesus all who were sick, and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Friends, I emphasize many. Now I want to ask you, where do you think they all went? Do you think they've just left? Do you think that they went back to hell, or do you think they're still on the loose? Friends, everything the Bible teaches to me, they're still doing what they were doing then. They are attacking, they are creating spiritual warfare against those who stand for and with God. But we don't like to look at it as demonic. We like to explain it away as, well, he has an addiction, she has a mental disorder, he has something this or that. We like to explain it physically, scientifically, And we do not like to admit that sometimes things are not what we like them to be. Now, friends, I want you to turn with me before we get into the text because I want to use this as an introduction to show you what the Bible teaches is going on right now. If you look in the book of Revelations, you'll see where demons came from and how we got them and what they're doing. Friends, if you look in the book of Revelations in the 12th chapter, The Bible says in verse 7 that there was a day when war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels, that's a reference to to the devil, you'll see that in a minute, fought also. And look at verse 8. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them any longer in heaven. So the great dragon was cast out that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. That's what he's doing. He's deceiving the whole world, everyone who he possibly can with the lies and with the things that he manipulates and his schemes the Bible speaks of. But look at what it says. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. If you look up there in verse 3, there's a reference It says, A sign appeared in the heavens. Behold, a great fiery red dragon. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven. And they believe that that is referring to the angels. He threw at least a third of the angels. We know the fallen angels who, if you read in Isaiah chapter 14, who he influenced, who fell with him and become demons. Guys, listen, they are on the earth as I speak. They are real. 
and they are wrecking havoc, and the reason they wreck havoc in so many Christian homes is most of us do not believe the biblical account on spiritual warfare. We think you can just be a casual, easy Christian. Friends, listen, if you look around, the society has gotten worse, amen? The culture is more demonic than ever. We even got political leadership now who runs our government who have strong evidence that the decisions they make would be more in line with demonic truth and demonic teaching than it would be biblical and godly truth. And we sit here and we act like, well, I wonder what's making them believe that. The devil is very cunning. The devil is very able to commit and carry out his schemes. And I promise you, he targets those who have more influence to influence others. And listen what the Bible says, just to give you a, a little bit. The Bible tells us that our struggle, our battle, that we wrestle not with flesh and blood enemies. That comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces, that's an army, of evil in the heavenly realms. Guys, what is spiritual warfare? The scriptures portray Satan as a personal being in direct opposition to God and his purposes. And friends, listen, spiritual warfare is the conflict that's going on in the spiritual realm that affects the things that are going on in the physical realm. And you read, just like he said right there, that Michael and his angels was fighting the serpent, the dragon, and his fallen angels, but they could not prevail, so they were cast out. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said that he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Where do you think he landed? Someone said he landed in the choir loft in the Baptist church. I don't know if that's true or not. I used to hear that and laugh. I've heard more preachers say that since I got saved. But I promise you, my friend, he landed on earth. The Bible is clear. And guys, today, we don't really take spiritual warfare seriously. But the Bible says that, Jesus, that, that Satan is referred to as the adversary of God. That's what Satan means, adversary. It speaks to Satan as the tempter. It speaks to him as the accuser. And it also speaks of him as the deceiver. Satan's power is limited. He don't have any power to make you do anything. But Satan is very cunning. He's the great deceiver. And he's able to deceive you and tempt you to get you to do things. And that's what he does. You know how he works? He's the adversary. He's against you if you're saved. He's against your family if you're trying to raise your family in a Christian godly manner. And he looks around. His demons are in places. And he uses them strategically. He's not messing with the dead, complacent, in the flesh, carnal Christian, but if you want to live a life that glorifies God and gets spirit-filled, you're going to encounter spiritual warfare real quick. <laughs> the reason a lot of people don't encounter it, you're not a threat. You're so dead, you're so carnal, you're just a religious person, you're saved, possibly, hopefully, but you're not really making a difference for Christ. You're not manifesting the life of God in you. You just kind of, but when you get serious about Christ, it doesn't take long for the devil to show up. Have you figured that out yet? You know what he does? As the adversary comes and he tempts you. And when he tempts you, he's your buddy. How many of you have been here yet? Oh man, you can do that. Everybody does it. 
All them other churches do it, preacher. Why don't you let them do it at this church? Oh, look, everybody else gets away with it. Why do you want to be so fanatical? And anyway, you're saved, you're forgiven, so you do it. The moment you do it, what does he become? How can you be a Christian? You probably not even say he becomes the accuser. And then he begins to accuse you. And said he, he wants to destroy the life that God has for you. He doesn't want you to have fellowship. He doesn't want you to have communion. He doesn't want you, if you're saved, to experience the blessed life that we have in Christ. You know what Jesus said? He said, the thief, referring to devil, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that they might have life and that they may have it abundantly. Why do so few professing Christians that go to church not experience the abundant life in Christ, the fruit of the Spirit manifested in their life? Victory. Why is Jesus not leading them in triumph? Why are their families not very much different than the lost people's families? Why do we have as much problems and troubles and sin and dysfunctional families in the church and divorce in the church and sinful immorality in the church as out there? May I tell you, because we are not taking serious that there's an enemy that is relentless that wants to rob you of everything God has made possible for you in Christ. Friends, when I was little, I don't even remember this. There used to be a show came on named Combat. Can any of y'all remember that? It had a star named Vic Morrow. He died since then. My mama's got pictures of me. She said I was so little that I would get a pick pillar off the couch and I'd sit in front of a black and white TV. Some of y'all don't know what a black and white TV is. My grandson didn't know. I couldn't even make him understand what a black and white TV is. And I would sit and I would watch combat. And she said, one day I just went in the cabinet and got her colander and put it on my head. And I'd sit in front of the TV. And she said, I was little. I'd go, ah, 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 And she said, she'd come ask me, what are you watching? And she said, I'd try to tell her. She said, you couldn't even make sense, but we'd watch you. You knew what was going on. You was into combat. And friends, a little while later, I got older and me and my little brother, we used to watch Y'all remember this one, Rat Patrol. Man, I loved Rat Patrol. We took Daddy's picnic table, went out to his shop, he drilled water wells, took his PBZ pipe, made us a 50 cal, mounted it on the picnic table, and man, we was Rat Patrol, amen? We played Rat Patrol. Y'all laugh when I put this on. You know what's more stupid than a kid or a grown preacher wearing this? Is a Christian who goes all week acting like everybody else, just getting up, going to work, you don't pray. You don't get your suit on, your armor. You didn't pick your Bible up, your only offensive weapon, until you got up this morning to come to church and think you're going to even win when you're probably not even going to survive spiritual warfare when you take it that kind of way. Friends, today I want to show you what the devil wants to do to every single life in this room. And he would do it to everybody if it was not for the grace of God and the mercy of God and Jesus. Friends, listen, he wants to kill us. He wants to do us just what he did this man. The first thing I want you to see about this man, and this is what this devil is trying to do to every one of us, and he is succeeding in far too many people's lives. When you look with me here, we're going to preach this out right quick. He says, then Jesus came to the other side, and he got out of the boat, and immediately there met him, out of the tombs, a man with a demon and unclean spirit. 
And I want you to notice something about him. He wasn't dwelling in the church. He wasn't dwelling with his family. He was dwelling in the tombs. He had this man out of touch. You know what the devil wants to do, every one of you? He wants to get you out of touch. He wants to get you out of touch with God. He wants to get you out of touch with everyone God put in your life, like parents that love you or a spouse that cares for you. He wants to get you away from the church and the people of God who can help you. And he wants to get you out of touch. This man was out in the tombs living by himself. Society had shunned him. They had thrown him away. He was isolated by himself. When the devil can get you out of touch with God, when he can get you out of touch and people no longer want to help you, I've met people. I was one of them people. I hurt people I loved for so long that the people I loved that loved me didn't know what to do with me, so they shunned me. And there's people in churches today who came, who sit with us, they're with us, but they ain't in touch with us. They ain't felt the love of God's presence in a while. They ain't had a loved one say, I love you, son. I care for you in a long time. They brought it on themselves because they listened to the lie. Friends, there's people out of touch everywhere you go today. And the devil knows if I can get you out of touch, I can get a hold of your life. He doesn't want you to experience what God has for you. He doesn't want you to be in a church house. He wants you to be so out of touch with life as it's supposed to be. He wants to get you so far from God, so far from the people that God put in your life that you are by yourself. And that's where he had this man, out of touch. You know, I remember when I grew up, man, we used to all have a family life where you knew you was part of that family. I mean, when you woke up in the morning, you didn't wonder if you had a mom and a daddy. They was waiting there for you. We ate breakfast together. You was told what your agenda was. <laughs> and at the end of the day, we didn't eat till daddy came home. Mom would have it cooking. Can we eat? Can we eat? No, your daddy ain't home yet. And when daddy had home, we all sat down at the table. Y'all remember them days? I knew I belonged there. I was part of there. And my daddy had his spot, I had my spot, my brother had his spot, and my mom and my little sister had their spot, and we had another spot in case one of us had company. And you didn't eat, and when you ate, you sat in your spot. That was a good thing, unless it was report cord day. Or mama had told you, wait till your daddy gets home, and I tell him what you didn't do. You should have cut that grass, you should have did what you did, boy, then you're sitting there and you just know him. And you know what would happen at the end of supper on report card day if it was not good? Daddy'd say, all right. Well, what happened, boy? Well, uh, well, when you get through, go to your room. And guess what? You got a touch. You, you, you knew you was in the family. You see, God's like that. He touches the people who he saves. But you know what? After he touched me in that manner and got my attention, he'd always say, you a cooper. Act like one. I love you. This is your house. I'm your daddy. I never not knew that I was under the love and touch and care of Huey Adam Cooper. But I want to tell you something. I feared him in a healthy way. And that's the only reason I think I made it to where I am today. 
And friends, listen, some of us need a touch today. You need to be reminded that people care about you enough to confront you in your sin, enough to accept you in your sin and love you. And that's what the church is about. Somebody here today may need a touch, amen? You need to be reminded that Jesus loved you so much that he died for you. He gave his life on a cross and he shed blood for you because he loves you and he wants to come into your life and he wants to touch you and he wants to know that you know him and he knows you. Guys, that's what Satan does not want to happen. He wants you out of touch, because guess what? The next thing you see about this man is not only was he out of touch, but he was out of control. And that's what he wants to do, everybody in this room. If he can get you out of touch with God and get you out of touch with the people that God put in your life to help you and watch over you, he can get you out of control. That's why he wants to isolate you. Because listen what this man happened to him. It says that he was dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains. That's how out of control he was. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. You got anybody in your family you tried to tame lately? They're addicted to drugs. They're addicted to ungodly behavior. They're their own worst enemy, and they can't stop. They won't quit. You try to help them. You talk to them. They're out of control. That's what the devil wants to do. Everybody in this room, if you'll let him. It's what he's doing all out there. That's what spiritual warfare is about. He has got multitudes of our American citizens, our fellow neighbors, that are so far from God, they're so out of control that now if they wanted to, they couldn't stop what they're doing. I know I've been there. That's what addictions are. No one's plans to end up a junkie when they first start doing it. No one plans to end up being a drunkard when they first start getting drunk. But friends, when that chain, that, that addiction begins to get you, we take people nowadays who have all these problems that we can't deal with, and we say, how cruel that they chained him up. How, how unmerciful was it that they would bind him in shackles and chains. Friends, they was just trying to keep him under control. Today we do it, but we call it things like drug rehab, counseling, psychology. And I'm certainly not against those things, but if those things aren't grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ, they're nothing but a Band-Aid that will temporarily soothe it because the source, the problem, many times is not what we think it is. A lot of times that addiction is a symptom. A lot of times that mental disorder is a symptom. A lot of times it goes back deeper to what I'm talking about today. It's rooted in a war that you can't see here, but it's making a difference here. Friends, I want to tell you something. I'm not saying that everybody that's addicted to a drug is demonically possessed, but I want to tell you something. Lots of times it is under the influence of satanic warfare. And friends, the only thing that can get them set free, that can control them, is Jesus, what we're fixing to look at. He's got all kinds of people all around us who are about us pulling our hair out because we've done everything we know to do to try to tame them. We've done everything we knew to try to shackle them, to try to control their behavior. But the more we seem to try, the more we spend, the, the, they don't get anywhere. This man was out of control he was out of touch. He was living in the tombs. He was totally isolated from normal life. He was not even a part of society anymore. He couldn't even enjoy regular life, much less the spiritual life that God had for him. 
And friends, the ultimately what the devil wants to do is what he was doing to this man. He wants to get you out of touch so that he can get you out of control. So if he can get you so out of touch with God that he can get you so out of control that your life is in danger, he can get you out to destroy your own life. And that's what this man ended up doing. Friends, I want you to see it with me. It's such a picture of what I see Satan doing in every life that he is able to get hold of. It says in verse 3, he was dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him. He was out of touch. They couldn't even control him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles were broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And look at verse 5. Here he is out destroying himself. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. He was destroying his own life. I think back on my life and I got to a point where I'd been to rehab. I'd broke my mama's heart. My daddy had died knowing I was a junkie. Everybody in town knew I was a drug head. That I was not only a drug head, but I was a junkie. I had needles in the car. I had needles in my room. I had needles everywhere. And friends, I can still remember how I would know that when I took this money that I've got, that I worked for, and I went and bought that first eight ball of Coke, I would not quit till I spent everything that I had, a whole 30 days of work on a boat that I'd been locked up on a boat. I'd come home, and in a three-day binge without going to sleep, I would spend every bit of my 30-day pay. And then I'd have to go back to my mom. I don't have any money. I can't go back to work. I don't have any cigarettes. I don't have any food. And my poor mama was trapped with that. And I look back at that, and I remember how powerless I was as I was sticking those needles in my arm. The first time I snorted Coke, the first time I ever tried Coke, I never dreamed of where it would get me. And I remember the first time I overdosed and fell out, and we didn't call it overdose, we called it overamped. Oh, he overamped. And my friends were shaking me, throwing water on me, and we laughed. I didn't go to the doctor. I didn't even go home. You know what I did? An hour later, I screw up and fixed me another shot of Coke. Stay up 72 hours, three days with no sleep, come home. And I remember how powerless and how defeated and how much I felt my life was out of control and how separated from my family and how ashamed I was and how by myself I was. That's what the devil wants to do to people. And friends, I remember when I heard about Jesus and I can remember people telling me that I need Jesus. And I remember thinking, Jesus, how can Jesus help me? What difference can Jesus make? <laughs> you see, that's what the demonic wants to keep you believing. But when Jesus shows up, my friends, I'm here to tell you that no matter how bad it is, no matter how out of touch, no matter how out of control, no matter how close they are to destroying their own life, one encounter with Jesus can change it all. It ain't 12 steps, my friend, if you're addicted to something. It's one step. I'm not against the 12 steps, but if you don't take the first step, and that first step has to be to Jesus. He's the deliverer. He's the Savior. He's the Lord of everything. He has all power. He's the one who is the only one who can set the captive free. 
I used to go to these programs, these 12-step programs, and people hadn't got drunk in 20 years, and they was as much captivated by their past as they were the day they drank their last drink. They were miserable. All they talked about was this old life, and I'm an alcoholic, and my name is so-and-so. And he talked about his terrible week, and they cuss like sailors, and they smoke cigarettes one after another. Not that I'm saying that makes you this evil, unredeemable person, but I sat there and said, I don't want them. And I would talk about Jesus. And they told me at a Narcotics Anonymous meeting, you can't talk about the name of Jesus here because our God, he is our higher power. He can be whoever you want him to be. Well, you guys, I'm here to tell you, there's only one God, and you can make God who you want. But the only one that ever could set me free was Jesus Christ. The only one that will ever set your loved one free, the only one will ever set America free, the only one will ever bring us back to the place that gives us victory over the spiritual war that is going on around here is Jesus Christ. That sounds so old-fashioned and so out of what people want to act like is cool to say, but I'm here to tell you, I'm old-fashioned when it comes to does people want to be saved? Does people want to be delivered? Do they want their lives brought back to the place God wants it to be? Friends, I'm telling you, Jesus is the only one. I went to rehabs. I went to programs. And I went right back to the vomit, just like a dog. And I went right back to the pig pen, just like a hog, until I met Jesus. And friends, listen, this old boy wasn't looking for Jesus, but Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee looking for him, amen? When they got in that boat, those apostles didn't know where they were going, but Jesus knew where he was going. And soon as Jesus got there, he confronted the demon. And I want you to notice something here with me as we close. It says in verse 8, I mean verse 7, and he cried out with a loud voice, said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you, God, do not torment me. And Jesus said to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what's your name? And he answered and he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. And also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out into the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons, listen to that, all the demons begged Jesus saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And I want you to see something. And at once Jesus gave them permission. They are under the authority of Jesus. And it says, at that moment, the unclean spirits went out and they entered the swine. There was about 2,000 and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and they drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled. They told it in the city and in the country and they all went out to see what had happened. And I remember, y'all, I guarantee you this man was known. If there's a man running around naked, ripping change loose, cutting himself with stones, crying out all night, I can promise you everyone knew about him down at the graveyard, amen? Don't go to the graveyard at night. Don't go alone. There's a dangerous man down there who's out of touch, out of control, and he's out to destroy himself. Friends, listen, he went from like that to what I'm fixing to read you with one encounter with Jesus. It didn't take six months of rehab. It didn't take Six months of Sunday school, he encountered Jesus. And look at what it says, verse 15. 
Then they came to Jesus and they saw the one who had been demon possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. Hallelujah, praise Jesus. How many of you have got someone that you are praying will one day return to his right mind? That one day will get his life back that God created him to have who's been robbed by the thief, who the thief has stolen and killed his life and is out to destroy him. Friends, I'm going to tell you right now, there are a lot of people that you see going around that have things going on in their life that the only one who can change it is Jesus. And friends, listen, that's what spiritual warfare is all about. That's why you have to have Christ. You have to be saved. Friends, you know what the devil wants to do? Just like God has a plan for your life, the devil has a plan for your life. He wants to get people. He wants to have gotten a way to influence them. Now, I don't know how they're able to influence us, but this is what I've noticed the devil and what he does. He studies us. He can't read your mind. Only God can do that. He's not all-knowing. But I want to tell you something. He is in the business of ruining people's lives. He is in the business of taking what God has given and robbing you from it. And he knows how to do it. You know what he does? He looks for your weakness. If mine was cocaine, if yours is this, pornography, whatever he can, he finds your weakness and then he exploits you with it. And it starts out as a weakness, but when he gets a hold of it, he begins to tempt you with it. He begins to do everything he can to put that in your life and to get you where you are totally looking towards it. And friends, it becomes a stronghold. The Bible speaks of strongholds in our lives. That's the weaknesses that gets us. Everyone's got weaknesses that make you susceptible. And he'll study you. If he notices that you and your wife fight all the time, that y'all argumentative, he will make that a regular occurrence in your home. And he will use it till he can make it manifest and he can make it intensify to the point it hinders and, if possible, ruins your marriage. You ever been there? Me and my wife used to get in a fight when we got over. I didn't even know what we got in the fight for to begin with. He put us in such a vicious circle. I'd go get drunk on Friday. I'd stay drunk to Monday. I'd promise her to Wednesday I wasn't going to do it again. Finally, she'd make up with me. And so Thursday, we'd have a decent night. Friday, I'd go do it again. And we lived a vicious cycle, a circle. That, that it was a trap. And that's what Satan does. He wants to entrap us in his snare. The Bible speaks of the snare of the devil. And he wants to entrap you. How does he do it? He entices you. He tempts you. And he finds a weakness. In me, it was drugs. It was alcohol. And he just put that in my life. And he allowed me to go and seek that. And then when I wanted to make it go away and I wanted to quit, guess what? He says, oh, no, it don't work that way. And he would just get me. Friends, listen, there's something in your life right now you're weak to. Have you ever noticed how, just by coincidence, it seems when you really want to quit a, a sin, when you really want to quit a behavioral habit, or you want to get out of an addiction, have you ever realized how quickly all of a sudden it seems so much harder? Do you think that's an accident? Satan's watching. He uses our weaknesses for his benefit. That's why you don't need to feed them. That's why you need to fight. And how do you fight? In Christ. This is my favorite verse, and it's the verse that God used to deliver me. When I first got saved, I was afraid I was going to fail. 
I was going to let my God down. I was going to let my wife down. I was going to hurt them again. And I realized that I had been set free and I had been forgiven, but I was afraid I was going to do it again. And I turned one day to Ephesians 10. And it's right above the verse that we're looking at about the spiritual armor that I'm going to preach out in the coming weeks. I'm going to teach us what the spiritual armor is. How do you put it on? See, you've got to put it on. You've got to make an effort to fight and suit up. But he said, finally, my brethren, stand firm in the Lord and the power of his might. Friends, no one will stand for very long if you're standing in your own power, using your willpower instead of the power of Christ. And friends, you've got to stand firm in the Lord. How do you stand firm in the Lord? You get up with Jesus, you go to bed with Jesus, and you try to stay with Jesus all day as much as possible. You talk to Jesus. You listen to Jesus. You, you are God conscious of Jesus on a day-to-day, hour-by-hour basis. Amen? Because Jesus, friends, said, hey, I'll not leave you like an orphan. And he says, abide in me, and I will abide in you. And friends, as you abide in Jesus, he comes to you. You know what the Bible said? The Bible says in James chapter 3, or chapter 4, it says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's what it says in the next verse. The first step is not resisting. The first step is submitting, surrendering to Christ. Today, that's what you do. You surrender to Jesus. You say, Lord, I'm going to surrender to you. Then you resist the devil. Because listen, if you're submitted to Jesus, you're under his authority, then he has authority, and that's what makes the devil flee. And then he says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Have you noticed that? That's how you do it. The most, we, say, we looked at that psalm, and we're going to close. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't know about y'all, but I'm so glad it's one of the sheep. I have Jesus as my shepherd. But the safest sheep in the flock, which one do you think it is? It's the one that's as close to the shepherd. The closer you are to the shepherd, the safer you're going to be. Who's the most endangered sheep in the flock? The one that's as farthest from the shepherd. And the Lord is our shepherd. He provides for us. He protects us. And he comforts us. How? With his presence. In the presence of Jesus is our comfort. And in those who are in his presence that he's comforting, he's protecting. And those who he's protecting, he's providing for. I don't know about y'all. That's a better deal than the devil could ever get you. But he will lie to you. He will trick you. He will deceive you. He will tell you he's got something better. But I'm here to tell you, there is nothing. This morning there's someone here who's never been saved. The first step is being saved. Saying, Lord, I am a sinner. I have went astray. I have rebelled. But Lord, today I'm coming to you. Will you forgive me? And I'm believing you died for me. I'm going to trust you. And Jesus will save you. He'll forgive you. He'll come into your life. But guys, even those of us who are saved, we have a bad habit of wandering, of taking it easy and taking it lightly. Friends, the only ones who win in the end who are the ones who fight the good fight who run the race with everything they got. I'm going to read this to you. I lied, and then I promise we're going to pray and close. This is what Paul told young Timothy. It goes right along with what I was talking about, about standing in the power 
of God and his might. He said, Timothy, in chapter 2, 2 Timothy, verse 1, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And look at what he says. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You must therefore endure hardship as a good soldier. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life so that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crops. And consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. You know what I've come to see? Everybody wants to partake of the crops, but no one wants to be the hard-working farmer. Everyone wants the trophy and the crown, but no one wants to do what the athlete has to do and play by the rules. The rules include daily exercise. The rule includes a routine that nobody else keeps to where you are totally devoted to being the best athlete and you win the rule. You go, everyone wants the victory. Everyone wants to win the battle, but no one wants to fight the war pleasing the one who enlisted them. We just want it to all be given to us. But he said we must endure hardship as a good soldier if we want to win the battle. Friends, the easy days in America of just going to church and having a comfortable, pretty nice and blessed life are coming to an end. I don't know if you noticed, but spiritual warfare has intensified in our land. And Satan's got the mouthpiece that speaks to more people and more loudly than any other voice that media They own it, the devil. Look at media, social media. Look at entertainment. Entertainment is promoting the devil's truths and his lies and his way of life. Friends, the only place you're going to hear God's truth is from the Bible, from a church that people are committed to fight the good fight of faith. Friends, listen, here we got less than 100 people here today. Do you know how many people is listening to the devil's mess every single day? Your kids... To give your kid an unrestrained cell phone, you are an idiot. To let him look at whatever he wants and have him open access to social media, the devil will have him a disciple of hell quicker than you could ever get him to church. Church, one week of one sermon is not going to overrule that. You have to take it. You have to get in the fight. You yourself, how many of you have lost control of your cell phone? How many of you keep looking at things you wish you didn't look at? You're not going to just quit on your own. You might as well go find an accountability partner and look up with him and say, look, I need help. I'm addicted to some of this stuff. Friends, pornography rules the church today just as much as it rules the world out there, they claim. And friends, listen, all that stuff that the world has fallen for is here. And it's spiritual warfare. You can't Watch what they watch and have what God wants to give. It's a battle. It's a fight. And we must daily be in that fight. This morning, I'm going to invite you to come to Jesus. Let Jesus come to you. Resist the devil in the authority of Christ by submitting to him. And he will set you free. Amen. Would you stand? What we're going to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. That's a great song for today. Father, we need to decide today if we're going to follow you or the world, if we're going to walk in the light, 
or we're going to walk in darkness. If we're going to fight or if we're just going to surrender, if we're going to be victors or if we're going to be conquered. But, Lord, there's no choice. There's no, there's, there's no neutral ground. You either have to choose one or the other. And, Lord, I thank you that you sent us help in Christ. And, Lord, it's not easy, but it's possible that your grace is sufficient. And, Lord, I know in a crowd like this that there's people who are struggling, who are feeling out of touch. Some feel out of control. Some feel like they are destroying their own life. But, Lord, I know you're here today, and I know you can deliver and you can set free. And, Lord, for that captive, for that one that the devil's lying to right now, I pray today would be their day of salvation, that they would walk an aisle, they would sit in up here in the front and say, I've just come to be saved. I want Jesus. And for that one, Lord, who knows Jesus but who's wandered, I pray today, like the prodigal, he would come home. Father, I thank you that you're waiting with open arms to love him and hug him and hold him, to restore him, to put the new robe on him and new sandals, to kill the fatted calf. Lord, what a celebration when we come home back to our Father. Lord, today I pray that the devil will lose and Jesus, you will win. Lord, you are our victory. Help us today to walk in triumph. We'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided.